So, who's ready? Good for some truly terrible jokes. I'm glad you were all up for that. I always like to. You ready? You ready? You ready? I saw a documentary about how they fix ships together. It was riveting. I sent my girlfriend a huge pile of snow. I said, now do you get my drift? Do you want me to carry on? <laughs> I tell them at school sometimes, and the, the poor teenagers are sat there half groaning and half completely forgetting whatever moaning thing it is that they came out aim about, just um, in the pain of my jokes. Anyway, so having got through that little endurance test for you, you know, it's a test of whether you really want to listen to me. Uh, we're going to return to the nice, easy, not at all contentious book that we started to look at, or that I started to look at a couple of weeks ago, when I said to you, you know, we'll, I'm going to go back to doing some sort of more Bible-themed and topical ideas. We always speak from Scripture, but sometimes we're thinking more thematically about who we are as a church and where we're going, and sometimes we want to sort of be principally led by what a particular bit of Scripture is saying. So we thought we'd pick something nice and easy, or I thought I'd pick something nice and easy and do Revelation, because that never causes any discussions or any debates or any arguments. I told one of my mates, um, who's a preacher, I was like, oh, I'm going to start this series on on Revelation. And he said, wow, you're going to do one on Brexit next, just to, you know, (laughs) follow it with something equally easy and non-contentious. Thanks for that. No, I'm not going to talk about that, don't worry. I guess, you know, as I sort of started to touch on and as we tried to experience um, last time, as I tried to introduce the idea of Revelation to you, and said, remember, it is full of all this imagery. Some of that imagery we can interpret and some of it we can't. Some of it really, really applies to the time when it was probably written. And there are some bits that you can look at and think, well, it's probably talking about X, Y, Z. But even then, it still speaks into our time because it's scripture and all scripture is inspired by God and useful, to Timothy says. All scripture. So even if you don't like Revelation or you struggle with it, in the best loving pastoral voice I have, I don't care. <laughs> all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for correcting and teaching, it says. Amen, all of it. So whether you find it contentious, whether you find it easy, whether you particularly agree with some of the things I'm going to say about it, because my words are not scripture, I never claim that for them, they hopefully enlighten but don't add to and never take away from what scripture wants us to know. So, um, as I tried to say then, some of you weren't here, but I did this thing of, I put up a big picture on the projector and asked everybody to come really close and look at it. And then we listened to some music at the same time. And then we looked at it, listened to some music and burnt some incense candles. Because my point was, don't think of it as a film strip that, you know, John somehow goes in and remember it is John. And remember what I said? What were my two big bugbears? What did I say to you? It's not revelations, it's revelation. And it's not the revelation of John, it's the revelation of Jesus to and through John. And John doesn't come in and do this. He doesn't sort of sit down in a chair 
and then say, OK, Lord, start the film. It's not like, you know, booking a seat in a, in a, in a multiplex and expecting to see the latest Avengers movie or whatever it is. It's this experience that John is drawn into that encompasses really the whole of his reality. It's like stepping inside a bubble of God. And then he's doing this. He's looking around and he hears every so often, look this way. And then he hears a voice saying, behold, the Lion of Judah. And then he sees a lamb. So all this imagery gets overlapped. And if you try and read Revelation as if it's a film script, I think you miss out. It's bigger than that. It's something to be experienced. And there are lots of repeating patterns in Revelation. We're going to look at one this morning. But just to give you a simple idea, if you look at the number of sevens, well, there are seven lampstands, seven angels with seven trumpets, and the seven trumpets have seven bowls, and the seven bowls are seven plagues. So already you've got like all this layered imagery. So seven gets used more than 50 times in Revelation. And then you get all the bit about three and a half and time and times and half a time, which is still three and a half, one plus two plus a half. Yes, time, times, and half a time, three and a half. Everybody with me? Yeah. You see? Because as soon as we start digging just into imagery and trying to analyse one particular one, then you end up with, oh, hang on, what does that mean? And we start losing some of the big picture. So, um, and I said to you last time that Revelation is an example of a very particular type of literature. Anybody remember what I said it was? Not you. Stop it. Somebody else. Apocalyptical. It's, uh, so some people call it the revelation of the apocalypse, which is not really true. It is apocalyptical literature. I said there are different types of styles of writing. You know, so if I said to you, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? I don't know why I'm looking at Dave as I say that. Um, <laughs> Thou art more beautiful and more temperate. If we spirits have offended, think that this and all is mended, that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear. It's poetry. It's Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. It's not a news report. It's not, today on the news at 10, they're going to tell you about the events in Northern Ireland. Those are using language and they're using words, but they're different genres. They're different styles of presenting things, yeah? And Revelation is a very particular genre. It's apocalyptical, which talks about the end times, but uses this rich set of imagery. So really, in the New Testament, there's only Revelation that's apocalyptical. In the Old Testament, you'd look at Daniel and Ezekiel, bits of Ezekiel, and say, here is a bit of apocalyptical literature. Because it is important you know the sort of thing you're reading. If you try and read Revelation like you read a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you are going to miss the point. So I'm trying to keep us sort of at this... Well, we, we are going to go into some details in other weeks, but even then I want to be careful about setting it in that bigger picture. But actually, Revelation says it is something else. Because apocalyptical literature, apocalyptical document styles, is a subset of a bigger 
type of speaking that we are familiar with as a church. Anybody know what it is? Prophecy. It is. It's prophetic. It's a type of prophecy. Revelation 1 says, verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart and take heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And I've already quoted you one this morning that makes clear that revelation is prophecy. One of our favourite verses, one we use quite often in our stream, our way of thinking about church, Revelation 19 verse 10 says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Telling out what Jesus has done is inviting him to do it again, to prophesy. So Revelation is apocalyptical and it's a type of prophecy. Yes? Now I've always been taught that when you want to look at a bit of scripture, a bit of the Bible, the best way, one of the best ways to work out what it means and what it's about is looking for other bits of the Bible that interpret it. Yes? So if I want to understand Mark, I also read Luke. If I want to understand Luke, I also read Acts, because they're written by the same person. I look for other bits of the Bible. If I want to understand what Jesus says in Luke 4, I need to go read Isaiah, because he speaks out words from Isaiah. Yes? So we use Bible to interpret Bible, to make sense of things to us. Yeah? Now, I've always been taught that prophecy includes two things forth-telling and foretelling. Yes? Yeah. Forth-telling and foretelling. That anybody who wants to speak in prophecy is doing one of those two things. So forth-telling is explaining the circumstance and the situation within which you find yourself, probably when you're thinking, what the is going on? I don't understand, I'm lost, I'm confused. And a word of prophecy comes in to explain what's going on. It is forth-telling, telling forth how God feels and thinks about a particular situation. So when we look in the Old Testament, you look at things like Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Micah and Amos, all the old prophetic books. The element of it, there's a lot of element of that that is speaking to the people who heard it. Comfort, comfort my people, Isaiah says. Jeremiah helps to explain to the people of Israel what's going on. So it is forth-telling and it's foretelling. It's saying to them, even though you may wonder what on earth is going on, God has a plan. And this is God's plan. So we'd look at Isaiah 53, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 61. Well, actually virtually all of Isaiah, and say that's all about the current time that they were living in and it's about Jesus because Jesus makes reference to it time and time again and takes verses particularly from Isaiah and applies them to himself. And Matthew does that a lot in Matthew's gospel. He says it is written and then he gives you a bit often of Isaiah. So Isaiah spoke to the people then and it spoke to the people of Jesus's time even though those were 800 years apart, and it still speaks to us now. It foretold and it foretold. Make sense? Okay. 
So if revelation is a type of prophecy, it will foretell and foretell. It's relevant when the people heard it. It's relevant now. Yes? Everybody with me? Yeah. Cool. Okay. So what do we know about prophecy? What should prophecy always do? Will you stop asking, answering the questions? I know you know the answers. I'm trying to get them. Give them a chance to think. Okay. What should prophecy always do? Okay. True prophecy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the ways. That's one of the ways you test whether it's biblical prophecy, whether it's prophecy from the Lord. Does it happen? If it doesn't, it's not from Him because He always knows what's going to happen. That's a separately different point about time that we'll probably do something on at one point to try and get a bit more of a handle on Revelation. Everyone, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to people, humanity, men, for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. No, no, I'm, I'm doing that, don't worry. That's not for you to do. You probably just move the mouse so that it won't work for me now, but that's fine, don't worry. Okay. Yep, should be in line with scripture, absolutely. But all prophecy, sorry? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks. All prophecy speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. All prophecy. Revelation is. Therefore, revelation should. And, come on, keep working, and foretell, and, and, come on, come on, Jenny. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Depending on which translation you're using. Yeah? If we use scripture to make sense of scripture, which is always the best thing to do, best place to start, then the same thing must apply. If you read Revelation and it induces fear and worry and panic, you probably are listening to a spirit, but you're not listening to the spirits. Yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> I worked hard on it. If you're reading Revelation and it's inducing fear and panic, which often when people have read it, it has... I don't think you're reading it properly because it wasn't written for that purpose. For me, Revelation has a number of th threads in it, one of which is to comfort the disturbed. I actually think it also disturbs the comfortable. It's, it, it does both. Thank you. I'm on a roll now. Everybody's approving. Cool. Quick, let's upset that then and change something. Anyway. Any reading of Revelation that doesn't ultimately bring you encouragement, strengthening and comfort, for me, means you're not reading it properly. Make sense? Anybody want to disagree? Feel free. I'm always open to questions and comments. Good. Okay. So I think if we look and keep ourselves at the big picture, we will be encouraged. So let's do some of that.
because you lot are going to read some. And I want you to answer some questions for me. So let's see whether this still works. Whether my darling wife has taken it. Oh, no, there you go. So I want you to read between you these four passages. Probably looking at the size of people who, the number of, <laughs> I was about to say, the size of people who are here this morning. <laughs> the number of people who are here this morning. I would suggest just two groups. And then if the group on my left, so this, you lot, you check the first two. Revelation 7, 19 to 17, Revelation 11, 15 to 19, and then the ones on my right take the bottom two. Okay, everybody with that? All right, and I'm going to get you to answer two questions. What happens and what is the end result? So what, what is it meant to make us think and feel at the end? Yeah, so I want to, in a minute you're going to tell each other what's in the passage but what's the culmination of it? What's the result of it? All right? Yeah, you are doing it in a group. So I'll, I'm going to give you probably about five, ten minutes because you probably will want to talk through some of it. Okay, if you're not used to this, if you're used to church being somebody at the front telling you everything to think, um, I'm sorry, that's not what we do. I want you to engage and look at the Bible for yourselves. But if you just want to sit quietly and listen to everybody else, or if you struggle to read, we do not do embarrassment, we just do support. So if you just want to say, can somebody else read, nobody will be bothered. And if you say, I don't know, I don't want to answer, that's fine. We are not going to put people under pressure. Okay? So you guys on my left, these two. Not you, you're on my right. These guys on my left. You, you, lot, you lot are doing these two. Actually, could one of, at least one of you go and sit over there? Because it's quite a lot less there than there is here. It talks about the, prost- talks about the, the, the prostitute that, that, that did this on the world and all the rest of it. But then there's a time coming. And that time is a time of, of, of victory and a finish and, and, and all that sort of the bad stuff will, 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 will finish and, and, and God's reign will come in. In the second uh, scripture, in Revelation twenty-one, he talks about the bride of Christ, and that bride is that there's a there's a marriage coming and uh, what have you. So, if if you like, it's 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 not all bad, but there's a lot of good. Yeah. But we have to sort of walk through that bad. But it doesn't matter because Christ is still in control. And I guess if you if you look in it from from today's perspective, you think, oh, there's all this stuff going on in the world, da da da. Yeah, there is, but. God's still in control, there's still victory, and John looks forward to this time when the bride of Christ will, there will be a, a, a marriage feast, and there will be a time when, when we're all sort of praising God and saying, hallelujah, a time has come. Is that about right, or is there anything else? Right, so what happens is, it's, uh, what happens? It describes the, the believers that are um, now no longer on the earth, I think it's... Um, the promise of eternal life, so we are standing around the throne of God. We are bowed down. Um, what else? Was there anything else? We are all washed in the blood. So the next passage is the seventh trumpet, which is the Revelation eleven fifteen, um, and the kingdom of the world has become uh, the kingdom of the Lord and His Messiah. And so essentially, it's the start of Jesus's reign. Uh, and as the trumpet sounds, the 24 elders um, fall down on the face and praise God. 
Um, and the time for judgment, uh, both good and bad. Uh, and it says it's the beginning of his reign. Somewhere, although I can't see it now. So, so it was that celebration of the believers together and us being uh, part of that situation uh, and Jesus taking his authority. When you sort of read those passages through all that, if you use your word tribulation or, or, or problems, whatever, there is still hope. You know, Jesus sees us through there. And, and, and we come out victorious. So f- for me, it's, it's a passage about hope. Fantastic. Great. Good. That's exactly what I wanted you to get. Because if we pick out some particular verses from those sections and read them straight after each other, this is where you get, the, the uh, I think, a deeper impression of what John is trying to get to us. So let's just pick a few, and I've got a few here. Revelation 7, 16. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the older things has passed away. Are the hairs on your arms standing up? They should be. When you look at these stories and you pick out these key verses, Revelation is a story of victory. It's about hope because it's prophecy and prophecy should comfort, encourage and strengthen. And if you get bogged down into, well, how many elders were they? And where are they? And what colour robes have they got? And how many people were crying? And was I crying? Step back. Look for the threads that connect all this together. And suddenly, this book that everybody goes, oh, it's really hard work. This is a glorious revelation of who Jesus is and what he has already done and will keep doing. It is meant to build us up and excite us. It also convicts us to get more people into Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So it's meant, that's why it's meant to disturb the comfortable. But it is to comfort the disturbed. Why can we say this? Why is John able to say this? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, want, I only want to I want to sort of bounce on this and then bounce off because I want to do it another time. But Paul says we are already seated in heavenly places. Colossians says he has defeated all the powers of hell and made a public spectacle of them. Jesus says all authority and power has been given to me. And he said, it is 
finished. This has already happened and is happening and will carry on happening because Jesus declares all authority has been given to me. And the only way the Jewish people understood the last days was Messiah comes. The last days are started. Messiah returns. The last days end. And everything in the middle are the last days. Messiah has come. Messiah has declared all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Paul says the powers of the hell have been defeated and we are seated in heavenly places. Have we seen it complete yet? No. We haven't seen it, but John has. Because John has stuck his head into the bubble of time and gone, oh my word. Look at what is going on. If you argue about trumpets and bulls and plagues, this, this is imagery. And is the, just the imagery make a point for the people who read it? Yes, it, I'm sure it does. I, I can't see any other way of reading at that time that Babylon isn't Rome. It talks about seven hills. Well, Rome had seven hills. John is making a sarcastic point, but that's not all he's doing. And if we start arguing about how many hills they are, come on. Revelation is saying whatever mess has happened, is happening or will happen, God's in charge. Whatever you are going through, whatever the times are, we are to be the people of hope who worship. And as we worship, we're dressed in fine linen clothes and we join in with the praise and adulation of heaven where it's always been happening. Are we getting it? This is meant to be good news. You, You do not have to spend all your time working out whether the Antichrist was Adolf Hitler, Donald Trump or your boss. Which is what people do. Don't they? I've had so many. I said, Lord, stop it. Sit down and look at these. Put these things together. God wins. Because God has won and is winning and will win. Just we get into our little rut of time because we experience time in a linear fashion. You know, what I just said is in the past and what I'm going to say is in the future. That's linear time. And we think... God works like that. I've always said there are two fundamental tenets for human wisdom. There is a God and you're not him. (laughs) There is a God and you're not him. And he's better than you and he's bigger than you and he's different from you and he doesn't experience things like you experience them. So John is putting his head into God's world and saying, my word. And yes, there is this repeating loop of events. And I think they are a repeating loop of events. I'm not certain you can say, oh, the tribulations and then this. Because that's not what it's talking about. It's a bit like some of my favourite TV programmes are things like uh, Fringe and Doctor Who and all Star Trek and all those sort of things. And they often have an episode. I've seen this in every series. They often have an episode where they start with something cataclysmic. Something really awful has happened. You think, oh, oh, no. 
you know, or you're, or you're like, oh, great, you know, the, the, the evil empire has been de- defeated. And then it says, and you're like, oh, but how did that happen? And then it says something like this. 24 hours earlier. <laughs> and then it goes back and tells you how you got to that point. Yes, that's what John's doing. He's seeing something and he's going, oh, oh, look, and some of it started here. Wow, look at this. Oh, wow, but some of it. And that's what's going on. And we're meant to get drawn into that with a sense of excitement. It is meant to encourage us. And if all you do is count the bulls and the plagues and the angels, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't want to decry the value of studying scripture in detail, but Revelation especially, if you just get stuck on the imagery without taking this step back and saying, but why is it there? What am I meant to get from this? You see, I read this and I remember the old hymn. And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song. And hearts are brave again and arms are strong. Hallelujah. That's what's meant to be going on. And we, we are a people who say we believe God has already started doing that, is doing it and will keep doing it and wants to use us to do it. We talk about the kingdom of God and Revelation says the kingdoms of man have now become the kingdom of our God. How? Us who do not get stuck into all the troubles and travails or tribulations or other words you want to use, but who say, my God wins. So even if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed this time, God wins. And I'm going to keep praying. I am committed to being a hope-bearing person because I read this and know God wins. In every circumstance, in every situation, the end is coming. It is coming. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I do know he wins. There is mess all around, always has been, probably will be for quite some time yet, but I know he wins. I read, I read this Guardian article yesterday as I was going to bed. Pollster Deborah Matteson said she was shocked by the findings. I have been listening to people in focus groups since the late 1980s and I cannot recall a time when the national mood was more despairing. Broken, sad, worried, angry. The negatives tumble down, as does the long list of grievances. I'm hearing anxiety's voice in a way that I haven't heard since the 1990s. A rundown NHS, job insecurity, teacher shortages. While people say that the times are hard, 40% are paying more attention to the news, they said, rising to 50% amongst a younger group. But let me read you this. The poll found an extraordinary gulf in levels of optimism. While 52% of those aged 65 said they felt optimistic about the country's future, this dropped to 24% of those under 34. Younger people feel a strong sense of injustice. Home ownership seems a pipe dream for the relatively well-off. Secure employment can be elusive, despite being far better qualified than their parents and grandparents. If there's ever been a time 
for a group of people to know there is hope and the kingdom is coming, it has to be now. I don't care which side of the Brexit mess you are on, God wins. And we are meant to be the people who make that real. And we are meant to be the people who read this and apply it into our own lives and situations. And say, because in all this mess, God is there. In all the images of, oh, what's going on? Praise still happens. And God's still in charge. Revelation is prophecy. Prophecy comes to encourage, to build up, and to strengthen. Revelation comforts, encourages, and strengthens when we see the big picture. So, who here has ever felt like they're flat on their back and taken out in the, in the race? Who here has ever felt like the situation is bigger than you can cope with? Who feels victorious? Sometimes. <laughs> read Revelation, but read it right. Connect the dots, see the repeating patterns. Mess happens, praise happens, God wins. We cannot allow such a precious book of scripture that comes to comfort us be turned into something that just causes arguments. When it's meant to make us lift our heads and say, my God is in charge. He always has been. He is now and he always will be. Nothing is too big for him. So let's stand. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and remind us again of the truth of your word. Where we've become narrow, make us broad. Where we've become hopeless, make us hopeful. Where we've looked at the world, let us look at the kingdom. And declare again, in us, through us and over us, the kingdoms of humanity have now become the kingdom of our God. The dwelling place of God is with his people. We have access to you. So just whatever you find helpful, put your hand on your heart, put the hand on your back of your neck from where you think and, and your cortex comes from and simply be saying, Lord, speak truth into me, into how I feel, what I see and what I think. Speak truth, bring life, call out praise in my life for you. Because you are the God who has won, who is winning and who will win. Whatever the circumstance. In Jesus name. Amen. <laughs>